Happy Mother's Day. My name's Jim, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. If you're new, want to say welcome. Bet you there's some people here in town that have come in, you know, for graduation or something like that. So really glad uh, that you're here as well, and you can uh, hang out with us and spend some time with us uh, this morning. So, and, and too, just want to say to you moms, um, man, you know, for some of the moms in this room, maybe you lost your mom this year. Uh, maybe, maybe you're wishing you could be a mom. Uh, there's probably a lot of things that this room that are both huge celebrations of how awesome it is, and then there can be some real uh, challenges here too. So, just we want to acknowledge that uh, today. And so, I want to I want to just start before we dive into uh, what we're talking about today by praying. Uh, Lord, we want to give you this time. We just trust you and love you. Thanks for making uh, motherhood. Uh, what a great idea that was. Um, Lord, we're really grateful for that. And. And we love you, and we pray that today that uh, the things that we talk about during our time together uh, would help us to grow with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Mother's Day is kind of hard on guys. You notice that? All the guys in the room are like, yeah. Man, the pressure on us guys to come up with stuff. And we got to, like, do better than last year, and we got to outdo ourselves, and, you know, like... Karen loves it when I preach on Mother's Day morning. Uh, she just loves this. She loves waking up, getting the kids to church on their own, on her own, and you know what a great thing. So, you know, fortunately, I I uh, mowed the lawn yesterday. Big points there. Uh, I made brownies last night. You know, the little triple chocolate from Costco. Those things. I made I made some brownies last night, and then uh, kissed her this morning. Said happy Mother's Day before I left to come here. So I'm on a great track. Um, I bring this up, though, because we've got to pray for Bill. I'm serious, you guys. Uh, today's Mother's Day, and it is his wife's Jackie birthday today. Can you imagine the pressure that he's feeling right now? Dude, we're praying for you. When he told me that this morning, I was just like, dude, you're hosed. Like, I got nothing for you. I, I don't know how you're going to survive today. But... Uh, well, welcome, and you know, we're going to continue our series uh, that has been looking at some of the parables, which are stories that Jesus told. Parable is a big idea packaged in a short story, and we're going to keep going with that. The series has been called Dynamite because Jesus told these stories that was like, you know, they seem simple on the surface, but you unpack them a little and you go, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that it meant that. And you always will find yourself in these stories too, and you will today. Very short story that Jesus told that we're going to be looking at today, but man, it, it, it packs something as do all his stories. So I want to look at that, but uh, to start it off and kind of introduce this parable, I want to talk about late night TV. So who, who's Jimmy Fallon fan? We've got Jimmy Fallon in here, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, who here liked Conan O'Brien? Big Conan fans in here? Not that many. Uh, who here grew up like I did with David Letterman? Come on. Top ten? I love David Letterman. All right, now, those of you who predate uh, David Letterman, who was the man, the king of late night for so long? Who was it? Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. If you're too young to remember Johnny Carson, that's okay. I'm going to introduce you to who Johnny Carson was here for a moment. Johnny Carson, in a lot of ways, was kind of the pioneer of late night stuff. And just phenomenal. And Johnny Carson would always come out uh, on stage between these curtains after his sidekick, a guy named 
Ed McMahon, would introduce him with kind of this iconic call, and he would say, ladies and gentlemen, here's Johnny, right? And so Johnny would come out from behind the curtain and do his thing, his little monologue, and everybody would laugh. And that was kind of the, you know, beginning, I think, in some ways of great late-night TV. Well, so there was this guy who used to be obsessed with Johnny Carson, loved the late-night show Johnny Carson, loved Ed McMahon, and he lived on the East Coast, I think in New Jersey. His name was John Searing. And John Searing decided one day, he's like, man, I think it would be so cool, I would feel so great about my life if I could go on the Johnny Carson show one night and introduce Johnny with the here's Johnny thing. Like, and so he decided one day, I'm going to write Johnny Carson a letter and I'm going to ask him to let me come on and be the guest announcer one night. So he writes Johnny Carson a letter, sends it off to Hollywood. What do you think happened? No response. He's not deterred. A week later, he decides, I'm going to write another letter to Johnny Carson. He didn't respond to my letter. Writes Johnny Carson another letter. No response. He writes a third letter to Johnny Carson. No response. Fourth letter. Fifth letter. Guy doesn't give up. Some of you guys know the story. This is a true story. John Searing in New Jersey wrote Johnny Carson 800 letters asking him if he could come on for one night and introduce him. And after 800 letters, Johnny responded. And not only did he get invited to come on The Late Show and introduce Johnny Carson, they actually said, we want to interview you because you're just crazy. Like, who does this? So he actually was a guest on the Johnny Carson show and then got to introduce him. And I have some video to show you what happened. This is kind of bad video, but check out this uh, that I ripped off YouTube from Johnny Carson and John Seary. Okay. Word along, Okay. So, John, why don't you go out to uh, Ed's mic there. I will go back uh, stage and uh, like the opening of the show. And John Searing from West Caldwell, uh, New Jersey, will... Be our announcer, okay? Kevin will, Kevin will cue you. I'll be out in a second. professionally. Thank you. You're a good-looking gentleman. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> Your fantasy. Now go and write no more. <laughs> I love that, man. Go. No more. 800 letters is enough, right? I'm going to give you what you want, finally, after 800 letters. 
Uh, I want us to look at that. I, I wanted to tee this up because this parable actually corresponds with John Searing. And it especially, I think, will matter to those of us who, whew, man, who are in this room who are facing something that feels like a mountain or who are in this room and feel like you have prayed and prayed and God has not answered. You've prayed 800 times and you're not getting any kind of response. And maybe you've tried to follow God your whole life and you know that the good Christian answer when it comes to does God answer prayer, the good Christian answer feels like, yeah, of course he does. And then there's a part of you that like with your experience goes, I don't know that he does. And I want us to talk about that this morning because I think Jesus is going to take on that topic of how do we talk to God in a way that I, I think is, is pretty profound, it, just like Jesus, right? He's always got something that will kind of blow your mind. But if you found yourself in those shoes, listen to these words of Jesus and see if maybe there's something we can grow with today together on it. All right, so we're going to look at this parable. It starts in Luke chapter 18. And uh, I'm going to read the first kind of seven verses looking at this. And so the, we'll start with Luke 18.1. Here's what it says. One day, Jesus told his disciples, guys, the followers that were following Jesus around, told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So here's one thing. Just before we get to the story, it's kind of interesting. Um, every single one of us, whether you realize it or not, if you have ever read the Bible before, or um, let's say you're just starting to try to read the Bible, or you've read it your whole life, I guarantee you, you come to the Bible looking through it through a lens, through a frame. You see the Bible in terms of where you were born, the family you grew up with, the experiences you have, there is an interpretive lens that you bring to the Bible that is uniquely new, that I will read it probably a little bit differently than you do because I have a different lens than you do. Everybody has that. That's, that's okay. But what we have here with this beginning of this parable is actually a gift to you. You see, most of the parables that we read uh, by Jesus, there's not a like l frame that's given to you beforehand. And that's where we end up with some of these parables. Like You can interpret them 50 different ways. Well, on this particular parable, Jesus is say, uh, this, the writer Luke is saying, here's how I want you to read this parable. Oh, that's a nice gift. So we can enter into this parable going, all right, read it through the framework of this passage. One day, Jesus told his disciples to, a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Boom, we've got an interpretive lens to read these words of Jesus, okay? So now... Let's, let's get into the story. And I want us to track these characters because it's important to understand the characters that Jesus build. And like always, yeah, you're going to be in the story. You know, Jesus is so funny, man. He tells these stories that look really like, oh, that's, that's a great story and entertaining. And then you start to look at it and you realize the story is actually a mirror. Oh, I see myself in the story. And so we gotta, let's see these characters and see if you can't find yourself here too. So in verse 2 it says this, there was a judge. In a certain city, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. So we got this guy, this judge guy, who's here and he's got his gavel because he's a judge. And we're going to put a cowboy hat on him. Um, and uh, a little bit, let's give him a mullet. Um, 
yeah, I, Karen's the art major in our family, okay? So just, just get over it for a moment. So, but this is our judge right here. And the Bible tells us, you know, Jesus tells us a story about the judge, and he includes this line. He doesn't care about God or people. So this would have, like, raised flags for people who were listening to this because they would have known, you know, a lot of the people that were listening to this would have known there were actually certain criteria for a judge. You look back at the Old Testament in a book called Second Chronicles, it talks about what a judge should be and what the judge should care about. And the number one thing a judge should care about is the idea that, man, if you're a judge, when you're making decisions, this is what this passage says in Second Chronicles, when you're making decisions, you're making decisions not for people, you're making decisions on behalf of God. Take, take your job that seriously. And so Jesus makes a point of saying, this particular judge, actually, when it comes to God, eh, not so much. Don't care. Other thing it says is this. It says in Second Chronicles, your, your job as a judge is to care uh, about the fact that God's making decisions, not you. And the one thing I never want you to do, if you're a judge, you never take bribes. Do not take money. You're not on the take. This judge doesn't care about people. Doesn't that sound like an awesome judge? I think I had that guy once when I got a traffic ticket now that I think about it. Doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people. But in this culture, if you're a judge, I'll tell you one thing he does have. He's got power. This judge has got power, and this judge probably has money. So we're introduced to a character right off the bat, big power, Big money, no scruples, doesn't care about anything, probably except for himself. That's what this judge likes is the judge. So we're going to introduce to another character. And the beginning of verse 3 introduces the next character. Look at this. It says, a widow of that city. We've got our bad judge over here, and now we've got a widow. And she's got on a sweet Mother's Day hat. Looks so cute. And she's got a skirt. Gosh, that's bad. Um, I'm sorry. Now, here's the thing about widows. Guys, first of all, a widow during this time may not have been, first thing that probably comes to your mind, somebody 70s, 80s, 90s who's a widow. During this culture, people died young. I mean, people may have died in their 20s. And so it's not uncommon during this time for a widow to be 30. She might be young. And here's the thing. A widow, man, a widow in the Bible is somebody that has almost no resources available to her. She probably has no money. She certainly doesn't have any kind of voice in society. Like, guys, women, and, and please don't get mad at me. I am reporting to you what the first century was like. In the first century, women were really not expected, allowed culturally to talk in public to a man. That was like, uh-uh. They certainly would not have been allowed, a widow certainly would not have been allowed, or any woman would have been allowed to go to court and advocate for herself. A widow would be expected to find a son or some sort of relative that could come and advocate for her. So if she, if this widow, is going to have any kind of interaction with this bad guy, which there's two stories in this, so you suspect they might 
you know, talk to each other at some point. That would be culturally a big no-no. Okay, this widow should not be talking here. She represents no power. She's powerless. And she's got no money. You can almost guarantee. So we've got two characters. We've got the picture of wealth with no ethics. And we've got the picture of probably the lowest on the chain, the cultural chain that you can find, a widow. Now look what this widow does. This is, again, where, you know, if we just read it today, we'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. But knowing this lens now, cultural lens, look what this widow does. It's surprising. Widow of the city came, came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The widow is seeking out the judge, and not just once, which would have been crossing lines, repeatedly, Jesus' story is, this widow is going after this guy. The dude gets up in the morning, grabs his coffee, walks out of his house, hops on his little donkey, starts heading off to work, and the widow's like right there next to the donkey talking to, hey, 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 you, don't forget my case. Like, in his face. Judge goes to work, makes his little decisions. Guess who's on the docket? The widow. Finishes work. You know, puts his gavel down. Heads down the courthouse steps. Guess who's waiting for him on the courthouse steps? The widow. She's in his face constantly. And this is the first thing I think we can learn from this story. This widow does something that every single one of us can emulate and just aspire to. She's actually taking a huge risk. Guys, we're talking about a judge who has all the power and no ethics. What could he do to her? Throw her in jail. Look, you're harassing a judge. Get out of here. She could punish, or he could punish her. She's taking a huge risk by repeatedly Jesus' story is coming to this guy who's in power. Here's, here's why this matters for us. I think if you think about life, you think about your life, we're going to just say this is a little area of our lives that all of us love. It's a space that we want to control. We all have areas in our lives where we go, you know what, oh, man, I want to feel like with the money that I have, with the talents I have, with the friends, the people that I know, my connections, that I can control certain parts of my life. And I'm not saying part of that's bad, right? We all need to feel like we have some control over something. But often we live right here. And here, man, I'm telling you, here's the truth about every single person in this room. There is a vision that God has for you in your life. There is God's vision that is up here. And I absolutely promise you the vision that God has for your life is beyond what you can control. The question is, for us as people who are trying to grow, and maybe sometimes you go, "Ah, I just don't. I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. It's often because we settle for living here instead of moving here. And I promise you, 
to do that, it will require you to move into this zone where you will risk. Guys, risk is the essential ingredient to growing your faith. You think about it. If you only live in ways that you can control, God isn't necessary. You don't need God. To step into the vision that God has for you in your life, in some, whatever area that is, requires you to move out of this zone into the risk zone, means you have to trust Jesus. If you can't control it anymore, there's something that's got to be greater than you. Guys, where is it? Where is it in your life that you're going to emulate this widow who doesn't just sit in the small little areas that she can control, but actually jumps out and says, there's a bigger vision for me, and it's going to require me to do some things that is going to be a risk, but I'm doing it. And maybe some of you, like, this is a big one, maybe you're in a job now or have been in a job in the past where you get a steady paycheck, things feel good, you've got, uh, you know, things that are required of you at that job that you know how to manage and handle, and yet there's just some sort of like nagging thing in you that says, I feel like God has actually something greater for me than this. What would it take to step out of this controlling zone and move into a zone of risk? probably going to be scary. But man, I'm telling you, if you start to take little steps into that risk, risk zone, that's how you actually start to believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. Because he becomes necessary in your life when you move beyond the areas that you can control. Maybe last week you're here, you hear us talking about how this church really is praying that over these next years, that we can impact the nation of Cuba. This big thing last week about how we're going to start sending trips. We got four trips down there last year. Maybe some of you are sitting there listening to that going, sounds nice, but uh, I'm afraid of the risk that that would present. But maybe that's been nagging on you this week. Maybe that's where we need to step out and go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to move towards you. Maybe... You know, gosh, Chris was up here earlier and talked about infertility. Maybe for some of us, you know, maybe you felt the sting of miscarriage. Or maybe you have been just totally rejected by somebody that you thought you were going to marry. Or some other kind of relationship with your mom or your sister or your brother or a kid. And you know... You've been burned, and so you're protecting yourself. And you're living in that kind of area of controlling my relationships because I don't want to actually put my heart out there again in a way that I might get hurt. But something's nagging at you saying, actually, I think God might have a bigger vision for how he wants to expand who I am, but it will require you opening that heart again and risking rejection and going through this zone. Guys, this is, this is the first thing I think we can take away from this widow. Man, she, she was willing to risk. She stepped out of what she can control into this risk zone because she felt like there was something higher that God had for her. But she doesn't go alone. 
She takes something really important. Check this out. So how's the judge going to respond? She's been coming daily, you know, repeatedly following him around, begging. How's the judge going to respond? This is what it says in verses 4 and 5. Jesus keeps going with the story. Judge ignored her for a while. Yeah, whatever. I can deal with this woman following my donkey, but I'm just going to blow her off. Judge, judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, because he doesn't have any friends, so he's just talking to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, which I love that Jesus includes this because it's just like we're just going to remind everybody how this guy is. I don't fear God. I don't care about people, so I'm not making this decision based on my ethics. But this woman is driving me crazy. And Jesus, guys, when he told stories, I'll bet would, he was probably a good storyteller. Driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Driving me nuts. So fine, have what you want. John Searing, stop writing letters, 800 letters. I'll give you what you want. This judge finally caves in just because he's sick of being nagged. In fact, that passage here where it says, uh, because she is wearing me out, this is where sometimes we lose things when we take uh, how the Bible was written in Greek and then we shoot it over into English and you miss some of the words and the literal meanings of the words. That little phrase right there in Greek, the literal meaning actually meant when somebody would punch you in the face and you would get a black eye. The judge is saying, this woman is so in my face, she's like, I feel like she's beating me up. I'm getting beat up by this woman to the point where I feel like I am like have a black eye. Guys, do you get how awesome that is? Do you get how awesome that Jesus is inviting you to do that with God? Jesus is saying, man, beat up God. Like, get in God's face. Be really clear about him. Guys, you moms who have, you know, you've got a, a son or a daughter who has wandered away from you, from God, from whatever. Man, are you beating up God over this? That's the invitation that Jesus is saying with your friendships, with your money, something that you're facing, some mountain you're facing, your health, whatever it is, are you, are you in God's face beating God up over this? Guys, one of the essential things that we got to learn, if we're going to be people that step out of our own control into risk for the vision that God has for us, we have to learn how to beg. So the question is, are you willing to beg? Are you willing to become a risky beggar? Man, this is a great vision for your life. To become a risk-taking beggar that is following Jesus. You do that, you will lead a life unlike just about anyone else around you. But that's the call. Where are you begging God right now for something? And I've been... My thing lately has been begging God over our church. A lot of you guys know that 
you know, we have been in here for three years. We're hopefully moving into a new home in the next couple years. We're not in danger of getting kicked out here anytime soon that we know, but we need to find our next space. And so I have been just begging God. We raised money last fall, and we're ready to go, and we're looking. And I had just been, like, begging God, please, would you do something here? And we've kind of find ourselves, I mentioned that this week, I want you to beg God this week. Uh, we are at a point this week where either next weekend or the weekend after, we could be telling you some incredible news, or we could be telling you next weekend or the weekend after that we have to start over from scratch, but it's coming to a head. And I would love for you this week to beg God on behalf of this church, uh, because I think we're right there. And it could go either way. We don't know what's going to happen. But this uh, particular property that we've been wanting, I have been driving by this property and changing my route just about every day so that I drive by the property and I, I get in my car and as I'm driving by the property, I just start screaming, God, come on! Look how cool that is! Please! Lord, we got to have this. This is it. Help us out. And then I drive by other churches that have buildings and I'm like, God, come on! What in the, why do they get that? I'm not saying that's like healthy. <laughs> just just keeping it real, you know. Man, I'll tell you what though, in all honesty, when it comes to begging God, drop the formality. Some of us have grown up in places thee and thou and that, you know, please, Lord, helpeth thee. No. Man, scream out to God in your voice. That's what it means to beg. That is the essential ingredient that a traveler has to have to move from here to here. The willingness to take a risk and the willingness to beg God to go with you. Let's see. I want to show you the end here. So Jesus tells the story. We've got our characters. And then Jesus closes it out by saying this. Then the Lord said, hey, learn a lesson. Learn this lesson from the unjust judge. Even he, with his lack of caring about God, his lack of caring about people, has power and money, but he's got a lot of strikes against him. But even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? What I love what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is saying, you know what? He's not saying, not replacing this character. Jesus is saying, this is who you need to emulate. Be like her. Beg. Give God a black eye over whatever it is. Get in his face. Go for it. But the beauty of the story is, is Jesus is going, but this isn't me. So in the fictional story, this is what we've got. In the real story, between us and God, we have us, but we replace this character with someone who is incredibly powerful, but who is so far beyond our capacity to understand his love Man, it just boggles my mind. And the story, the real story, is the risky beggar 
which is hopefully us, and a God who loves and cares. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to respond. I'm going to respond. Whew, okay, so I'm facing hard things, and does that mean now all I have to do is pray 800 times? And God's going to respond just how I want him to. You guys know, he's not a genie. We're not talking about a little genie in a lamp here. We're talking about a relationship with a real God. But I can tell you too, whew, when you go out on this journey, what you think this is, is often different. How many of us actually end up going exactly where we thought we were going to end up? No, thank God no. What happens when we leave our space of control and move into risk is that we usually end up somewhere that we didn't expect. Because somehow God will move us in a way that we look back hopefully and go, oh man, thank God. Thank God I didn't get my way. Thank God, you know, that the thing I thought would be best for my life in the end was not the best thing. The danger of this parable is that we approach it and think, oh, okay, if I just pester God enough, I'll get what I want. That's not how God works. We know that. But it doesn't rob from this idea that, man, when you get into this zone as a risky beggar, I promise you, you will change. You will become a different person, and you'll be glad you did. So what is it, guys? What is it where you're holding on here? What are you holding on to with control? And we need to learn to walk through that risk and actually beg God as we go. God, <laughs> easier said than done. But Lord, we want to give you our hearts. Would you somehow break through those areas that I know I try to control and move me out of them into a space where I'm going to trust you, where I'm going to risk, where you actually have to be real. Lord, I pray for us as a group here. I know there are people sitting on the edge of this right now. Lord, would you push us and reassure us that you're going to walk with us even though it will be scary to walk through that risk zone. Lord, thank you that you risked it all when you came to earth and you gave your life for us. Amazing. Lord, we want to put our trust in that. I want to put my trust in you. So help us today, Lord, and we all pray. Amen. Hey, guys, as we sing this last song, I just I want you to sit back for this first, you know, couple times as Becky sings and just listen for a second. I just want you to hear these words because there's nothing worse than walking through a space of risk without a God that we can't trust that, that isn't faithful. So listen and then, and then jump in. So here we go.